Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and enter the offer code CanadaLand at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Andrew Mitrovica, media critic for iPolitics, career investigative reporter, teacher. Yes. Welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back, Jesse. This episode is brought to you by John Vreitz, Mathieu Charon, Scrawn, Rocco Giacomo, Blair Antcliffe, Heather Pazat, Mark Crass, Raymond Snow, and Chris McLaren. Chris, why did you decide to be awesome? Because I think there's always room for an engaged, vibrant, and critical discussion about the media. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace.com. Andrew, you do not seem to me to be the kind of guy who's going to participate with me in a sponsored message. I'm on my own here, aren't I? Well, be careful, Jesse, with sponsored messages. If you were to consider a web service, Andrew, for your personal website, I I think you should have a look at Squarespace.com because they have simple, powerful, and beautiful templates for you to choose from 24-7 support via live chat and email. And for 8 bucks a month, you get a free domain, you get responsive design, works on any screen, you get a free e-commerce store, 
with every web page and beautiful cover pages. You just plunk your information in there, Andrew. I Sounds s- like Nirvana. See, there we have the Andrew Mitrovica endorsement. Start your trial. <laughs> no credit card required. Go to scorespace.com. It's fun to build a website there. When you do decide to sign up, enter the offer code CanadaLand and you will get 10% off. Thank you, Squarespace. Build it beautiful. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This story just breaking in the last hour. The RCMP is laying charges against a former Syrian military intelligence officer for his role in the torture of Ottawa telecommunications engineer Mehar Arar. Why is it such a big deal that one charge has been laid against one man with respect to what happened against one prisoner? Because it virtually never happens it actually is an enormously significant step forward. This is one of the very few times that any country anywhere uh, has laid criminal charges with respect to torture happening outside their own uh, borders. So this is historic for Canada, but it's groundbreaking internationally. I welcome today's announcement by the RCMP to lay criminal charges against Colonel George Saloum, who was directly responsible for my torture while I was detained at the Palestinian branch of the Syrian military intelligence. Andrew, Mm. the RCMP going after Maharar's torture, big positive news day for the RCMP, read about it in the National Post, they picked up a uh, Canadian Press wire copies uh, on it, you know, read about the wonderful, looks great for the RCMP, Arar supports this, of course. What could be wrong? What could be bad about this? What do you have to say about this? Well, the irony, of course, is and Alex and Eve, who uh, your listeners just heard from, and Monia, Mayor Ra's wife, I'm sure were too polite to point out the obvious. 
and that is that the RCMP were largely responsible for Mr. Arar's rendition and, and some would argue subsequent torture in the first place. As I've said publicly, I welcome the charges, just as Monia and Alex have, but I, I think we would do well to remember the pivotal role that both the RCMP and CSIS played in um, sending an innocent man into a torture chamber and doing nothing about it. And we're just stating facts here that, you know, people just familiarize with Meher Arar, I mean, just cleared of any association whatsoever, tortured Canada, handed him over, and this is the fate that befell Although, although there is, Jesse, one reporter who I will not name, uh, who makes absurd claims about Meher, uh, that he might be some deep cover agent um, or that he has a relationship or had a relationship with the CIA. He once called me at home asking... Uh, whether or not I would be kind enough to uh, read his book uh, before the publication in order to give it a review. And I said, uh, if you send me the book, I'll use it for toilet paper. Well, if this has been published, surely you can name this this uh, reporter. Uh, it was a private conversation. All right. Uh, I, I, I'll, he knows I'll... who he is. And any discerning listener would know who he is as well. I appreciate you're going to demur. That's fine. Why this is a story that I think concerns the media and the irony, not just of the RCMP, where it's like OJ off to find the real murderer. Yes. Right? I mean, yes. so the RCMP is going to investigate the torture, and our, our courts have found that, the, that it's, it's ex- explicit that the RCMP knew about his Arar's innocence and kept mum on it, and then in the same finding, we learned that the RCMP was feeding insinuations to the press mm. that are, are, well, he actually is really guilty, and the press parroted that, and no one at the RCMP has ever been held accountable. So they're off looking for the torture. Meanwhile, none of this would have happened if they had just said at the pivotal moment, we actually happen to know that this was a fuck-up and he's innocent, uh, and, but they're not investigating themselves. They knew, the RCMP knew within days uh-huh. of Mayor's Arar's arrest that he was an innocent man, that he had no, none, no links to torture. And they kept that, not only for Mr. Arar, but they kept that from the Canadian public. The former commissioner of the RCMP, Commissioner Zaccardelli, was confronted with this evidence in Parliament. And again, he, he played the, the proverbial three monkeys. It's a disgraceful episode in the RCMP's history. I've I argued publicly, as you well know, I wrote a very long investigative piece tracing the dominoes of leaks, whether they came from the RCMP and or CSIS or some other part of the security intelligence infrastructure in Ottawa that were then fed to willing conduits in the media who spread these egregious falsehoods about an innocent man. And that is part of the unfinished business of the Mayor R story. Number one, we've never discovered who leaked the information, right? Notwithstanding the fact that after I wrote my piece, apparently the RCMP resurrected their probe into the leaks because I named media players. They waited for me to write a magazine piece before they started looking into that question. The second is that the unfinished business is that the reporters who plastered these lies about Mayor R., that damaged him, that compounded the damage that he suffered 
on their front pages and on the top of national newscasts haven't done the decent thing and apologised to him, save one reporter. And let's give credit to that one reporter. Who was that? And that reporter was Jeff Sallett, my colleague, my former colleague at the Globe and Mail, who personally apologised to to Mayor and his wife. And I can tell you from speaking to Monia, I've just written another piece, quoting her saying that that apology from Jeff meant uh, the world to her, mm-hmm. mayor, and their children. So let's just uh, boil that down a little bit, because you wrote almost 6,000 words for the Walrus about this in 2007. So so the RCMP got the wrong guy, they know it, and they're afraid it's going to be found out. And so that is in the background, because we can't dr- draw a direct line. We don't know who, but somebody then starts telling certain reporters, and it gets reported as unnamed government sources. Yes. And it's an interesting case when you're talking about anonymous government sources. Either you've got whistleblowers who obviously their claim on anonymity is obvious, mm-hmm. uh, or you've got the kind of informants who are um, spreading those words about how Snowden has uh, compromised agents in the field. Blood on his hands. Where you know, you got to look twice at a government informant who's giving you a message that is consistent with what the government is up to why then the anonymity? Why do you need to be anonymous? If, if you have information that Arar is, in fact, associated with terrorism, why would that have to be anonymously delivered? And wouldn't the reporter question that? And, and so you talked about who did take that information and, and, who, and who ran with it. And some of the allegations that were made, the accusations that were made, weren't insinuations. They were ironclad. One anonymous government official that was quoted by Bob Five who has won justifiable praise for his reporting the Nigel Wright uh, the Duffy case. For breaking that story. For breaking that story or being party to breaking that story, has never really addressed the real damage that he caused uh, another Canadian citizen. In his report, he quoted an, uh, an anonymous government official telling him that he, it was 100% certain, Jesse, not 90%, not 80%, not 60 50, I could go on 100% certain that Mayor Ra was, was no saint, yeah. right? So there was a certainty about this alleged reporting. Other reporters not only suggested that he was a terrorist, but he was training other terrorists, right? So this, it, it, it painted this picture of an unrepentant terrorist who was intent on harming innocent people. That's about as egregious an accusation that you can make about another human being. And all of it, all of it was bullshit. All of it was a lie. And the people and in, and the reporters in the media who were responsible for regurgitating those lies have never addressed the questions that I have repeatedly posed to them in a variety of fora, okay? And principally, principally, why, do you, why don't you follow Jeff Salad's honorable, admirable lead and finally do the right thing and at least apologize to Mayor Ra for the grievous mistakes and the grievous lies that you made, in, not in, you know, some small media outlet, 
on the on the front pages of the National Post, at the top of newscasts, CTB National News, you know, millions of viewers, lots yeah, of readers. I mean, you traced it. It went from Fife repeating this anonymous claim, 100% sure, and then there's like a masthead editorial from the National Post. And, and it's a whisper campaign because it's saying like, look, we know that the facts haven't bear, you know, bared out that, that Arar is guilty, but like, trust us. Yes. Trust us. The guy's no good. Yes. And, and the smear of that to this day, mm. you know, you look in the comments of the news that just broke that they're going after his torturer, and there are people in the comments saying, yeah, but, but uh, you know, we gave him $10 million, the government copped out, the fact is the guy's a terrorist. Yes. Because people remember that, like, that they're on the inside of this, because they, they've been assured by the media, our sources tell us that he actually is uh, al-Qaeda, you know. After O'Connor's report came out, the National Post editorial describing Mayor Rahm, and I think I, par- I might be paraphrasingly here, as an allegedly innocent man. Yeah. I don't know. There's sort of two generous theories you could have. One is that the reason why Robert Fife and the National Post and anybody else who is party to, to spreading that hasn't come out and apologized is because they actually do have something on him still. In which case, where's the journalism? They got they got to publish. And, and the other, I don't know, the other, what is the other possible explanation? for? It's a, for I think the other possible explanation is because they want it to be forgotten. They want it to go away. They want it to be forgotten. They want that episode to go away. But the embarrassment of being spun by a source, it's terribly embarrassing, especially when it's as consequential as this. But it... Like, you, you just, people are very forgiving if, if you just say, you, you know. Particularly in Ottawa, Jesse. There's no agenda, one would hope. I mean, Robert Fife is doing incredible work right now. He's, he's getting praise for it, as he should be. But, you know, to say, look, I deal in a world of government. I, I, I trust my sources. I built up relationships with them. I got spun. I got fed bad information. I ran with it. It had consequences. I'm sorry. I, I don't think that that would be a, a permanent stain, but there oh. is a lack of accountability. I mean, to not even just say why. Like, well, do you stand by that original reporting? I was once invited to a symposium uh, to discuss the reporting around RAR. And the organizers, uh, I think, I can't remember who the organizers were. And they, they were reporting friends of the people that I named, Right. Uh, they were inviting friends of the people that I named in the piece. And I challenged them. I said, why, why are you inviting their friends? Invite Lloyd Robinson. Invite Joy Malbin. Invite Robert Fife. Invite Sheldon Alberts. Invite these people. Invite them to come into this forum. And then I can challenge them directly. And I'd be more than happy to hear their sides of the story. They can explain their actions you know, for example, why did Sheldon Alberts, uh, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, describe or include Mayor Rar as part of the Al-Qaeda Five? Mm-hmm. Where did that come out of? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and uh, and why did Joy Malbin suggest that, uh, that there was evidence that Mayor Rar was assisting other terrorists, if my memory serves me, in training other terrorists? Or why did Juliet O'Neill and her infamous dossier you know, about Mayor Rar. Come, debate this in the open. Get it out. Get it out. But nobody, as you all know, Jesse, there are certain things because of the parochial, incestuous nature of the Canadian media, and this is something that you've tried to kind of expose in the work that you're doing, uh, they don't take up that challenge too easily because it's a fraternity. And, it, and it's not it's not the norm to point an accusatory finger at our colleagues. Yeah. 
Well, you've, you've, you've issued the call. I pinged Robert Fife earlier today to see if he had any comments on this. You've mentioned some other names. Anybody, and I leave a lot of room open for some alternate explanations for what's happened that maybe we haven't looked at here. Please tell us what's going on. And if you stand by the reporting that you did on Mayor Arar, say so. If there's anything that you want to add to it or apologize for or clarify, is a good time to do that. I seem to recall we issued the same uh, invitation to Rex Murphy. But yeah, that, that never happened, Jesse. Be patient any day now. <laughs> the fate of Mohammed Fahmy was up for discussion today as Foreign Affairs Minister John Baird met with senior government officials in Egypt. Adele, I want to ask you, going back to when we had heard that your brother's release was imminent, was what we kept hearing and what you kept hearing. Do you have any sense of what went wrong? In a Cairo courtroom packed with the press, Al Jazeera journalist Mohammed Fahmy and Bahir Mohammed learned on Saturday that they'd be going back to prison. I mean, I don't even know what to say. The fact that Fahmy is going back to jail, the, the fact that that is just, oh, yeah, like yesterday we were talking about how the release was imminent, you know, and then Baird was saying, the hey, no, he's going back to jail. It, it, it's not that this story suffers from a lack of coverage, but I do feel like similarly there is a lack of accountability when this was Baird's final big motion before this sort of surprising exit. And... Everybody was like, kind of had benefit of the doubt. Well, okay, you hit some bumps, and he said it would be unreasonable to think that I'd be coming home with Fami, but you know, it's imminent. And and now, in fact, the retrial, kangaroo court, back in prison. And doesn't this mean it's time to shift our focus back on Baird? Where is the comment? What did you mean by imminent? Hmm. And again, why did you leave? But Jesse, why did you exit it with that unfinished business? In preparation for this, I, I just did as I like to do a little bit of a literature search. And you'll you'll note that the revisionists in in the Canadian corporate media are not blaming Mr. Baird for this this suggestion that they, that Farmy would be released imminently. It's Amal Clooney and com- it's Farmy's camp. Uh-huh. It's Farmy's camp that raised the expectations that uh, that he would be released. Who's imminently. saying that? I think I believe. Okay, yeah. National Post in one of their haughty lectures again, not surprisingly, describing the rest of Canada, including Mulcair and Trudeau, as being naive. You know, to suggest that now it was time to take out the loudspeaker and that quiet diplomacy uh, really was still hadn't run its course. Right. My response to this sort of attitude and this sort of revisionist thinking is. Would the National Post really write an editorial if Andrew Coyne was in a, a Egyptian jail? Would they really be that reserved yeah. and sort of suggest, well, this takes time. Yeah. And, you know, the prime minister and the foreign minister really ought not to be reaching for the megaphone now. Of course they would. Let, let the professionals, let yes, the diplomats do their, yes. their job without so much scrutiny. They would do precisely what they did when one of their colleagues, Juliet O'Neill, was arrested yeah. and charged. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Darkness into democracy. Darkness has has enveloped democracy in Canada. Yeah, you know all of the restraint, the apparent restraint, would fall quickly by the wayside, and they would demand that the Canadian government do something. And I think the analogy stands: do something immediately to expedite the release of this accomplished, responsible journalist who is an innocent man. But no, no. We don't hear In the that. case of Fami, no. And why? And, and to what? To what do you attribute this double standard? In? <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> look, th- th- we've seen these cases play out, and yeah. y- there's just no other way of looking at it. And it's not necessarily about the fraternity of mainstream media, because there have been cases like, um, I remember Kenny Hechtman, Ken Hechtman, freelancer for the Montreal Mirror, of all things, mm-hmm. after 9-11. He goes off half-cocked to Afghanistan, gets himself kidnapped, but only for a couple months. And, and there, you know, diplomatic channels, the government did their job, he came home. Uh, Melissa Fung of CBC yeah. was what was that, a month or two she was gone and you know the press blackout they were doing their thing they didn't use the megaphone but uh, but she came home and Amanda Lindout that that's what happened in those cases all of those people came home and came home quickly with a lot of government assistance yeah. then you look at somebody I covered for a while Hossein Darakshan hmm. Hossein Darakshan no more or less a journalist than say Ken Hechtman yes. a blogger. Uh, independent voice, a guy who was a moderate uh, Persian fellow, uh, a, a Canadian citizen, dual citizen of Iran and Canada, but uh, but somebody whose politics were completely out of whack with uh, mainstream, you know, I mean, real pro-Iran, the nukes are okay for Iran, and gets himself thrown into Evan prison uh, and was rotting for years, just recently uh, freed. I mean, there, there was no public outroar. And, you, you know, at first, I thought, well, maybe this is a, the distinction between an indie journalist mm-hmm. and a mainstream journalist. But then you look at the Ken Heckman thing, you know, and he wasn't. Uh, there's there, there's one distinction when it comes to Fami. Fami is a mainstream journalist. Al Jazeera is a mainstream news organization. What what is but the what distinction? Did, but what do they use as cover for what we know to be the real motivation? The cover that they use is that his Canadian citizenship is a passport of convenience. He's not a real Canadian. So that's, that's he's a hyphenated Canadian yeah. who's using the pass, a Canadian passport, as a passport of convenience. So in effect, he's not one of us. That's the thing, and and I, I you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's a racial thing. I think it's, I, I mean, that's an aspect of this dual status, yes. this this uh, second tier, second class Canadian citizen, and I, I think that if we want to have a debate about dual citizenship and and who were what kind of people w- we are reaching out to to come to this country. I mean, you know, we, we, Canada has to make decisions. About, a lot of people want to come live here. That's a great debate. Let's have that debate. But once you call somebody a Canadian citizen, there's only one kind of citizen. Yes, you're a Canadian absolutely. citizen or you're not a Canadian citizen. And part of being a Canadian citizen is I'd like to think that if my ass got thrown into some godforsaken jail, my government would actually say something about it. Regardless as to whether or not I was also an American citizen, if I had a, a hyphen and, and, and you know my, my status, and I think that if I was Canadian American, I probably would get that support. Absolutely, absolutely, you would get that support, and you would get it, you would get it quickly, swiftly, um, abundantly, and if necessary, vociferously. So I don't think this is punishment for being brown necessarily. I think this is punishment for being not really a Canadian really. and half. Yes. Iranian, half Egyptian. Yes. Not yes. really, you know. It's the same suspicion that was cloaked around Mayor R. Yeah. No, he's not a real Canadian. Yeah. Uh, he's the other, right? Um, different rules. There's different rules. Different rules. Different yeah. rules. Well, I mean, you know, I, at the very least, I, I, would, I would hope that people would just be banging, you know, Baird out of whatever, you know, corporate... Uh, <laughs> Boardroom. He's. I, why is he not uh, a voice in this 
in this FAMI verdict? Why isn't he, even just to say, John Baird was not available for comment? You know, I, personally, I haven't tried. I think, it, I, I think you should try. I think I will try because I think it's, it, it's an important question that needs to be posed to the former foreign minister of this country who, after he, uh, you'll recall, after he announced his resignation, Oh, my goodness. The gooey hagiography uh, <laughs> that came out of Ottawa uh, when he was doing his uh, departure interviews on those chat shows yeah, was almost yeah. – I, I, again, I know this sounds like the standard Toronto – uh, line from the standard outsiders that, but really it, they did embarrass themselves I, 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 with with not posing the kind of questions that he should have been asked on an array of subjects. It's crazy how they how they shaved off the the pointy edges. I mean, this was a guy who, love him or hate him, he was a bulldog. You know, he was a a really abrasive guy and a combative guy. And it kind of just got this warm and fuzzy, like, ah, you know, we we had our disagreements, but boy, you put in a great service. He was a really nice man, um, and and I'm sure he is. Uh, but it, it became so comfortable that he was he was calling the, his inquisitors by their first name. Yeah. And, and, and again, again, I, I know what all of you in Ottawa are going to say about that crank Andrew Mitrovica, you know. Um, but it's true. Sometimes you have to look yourself in the mirror up there and find out what you're doing wrong and maybe do it better. Finally, Andrew, did you catch the flip side? The Globe and Mail? I caught it on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, everyone on Twitter just reads the digital version. So you had to go out and actually get a print version to see I, this thing. I did not waste my time. I had it sent to me by uh, you know, uh, a very helpful. Uh, I saw that you asked. Yeah, um, I asked and Twitter delivered, and thank you for that. But I, I don't even know if it's worth the air. The Globe and Mail's newest advertorial product, in an edition of the print version, a week ago, on the back of every section is a page that looks like the front of that section. It's got, it's got the Globe and Mail masthead. It's got an article. It's got an ad. It's got reader comments. But here's the twist. Andrew, I can see you waiting for it. It was flipped upside down. That's news, national newspaper war territory there. Right? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't marked advertorial, but like we've been playing this game with advertorial for many years where it used to just say advertorial at the top of advertorial. Then it would say a special section as if the reader knows that special section means advertorial and they'd do a different font. And so now it looks identical to a Globe and Mail page, except, of course, they're going to say, come on, everybody knew this wasn't the normal Globe and Mail because it was flipped upside down. But, Jesse, hold on a second. Didn't you break a story, I seem to recall, last year about the goings-on inside the Globe and Mail involving editorials that were being quashed and advertorials that were being, uh, you know, forced upon uh, staff writers? And, and what was... What 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 happened to you, Jesse? Oh, I seem to recall that you were being dismissed as this journalistic gadfly who was who was finding trouble when it didn't exist. And this is precisely this is precisely uh, what you, to your credit, be, first began to explore about what was happening inside the Globe and Mail. Look, having worked there, I can assure you and your listeners, okay that reporters, when they went out for lunch, when that stuff appeared, sat at various places near the Front Street Zoo there and either cried or laughed. 
about what was happening to their uh, their newspapers. Because I must say this about the people at the Globe and Mail, the reporters at the Globe and Mail, when I was among them, say what you will, they cared for their newspaper. Mm -hmm. They cared for their newspaper. And many of them worked there for a long time, for a long, long time. I'm no longer there, but I would hazard a guess that they would shudder at what was happening to their newspaper. I don't want to make too much of this one silly thing that there, there's a, a new kind of advertorial, but I, I think it's worth taking a look at it because of what they're playing at and what they're offering Mercedes. Because it, 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 more than anything, I mean, you can talk about the degradation of newspapers in a hundred different ways. That's a step up from the F-150, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little bit more hard to tell what was going on. This, the writers of these articles knew that they were writing advertorial. We looked into it and we found that out. The reader would know that something is weird just in this crazy upside down thing, though. But what they are blurring is they're intentionally playing with the, the juxtaposition of their editorial content with the advertising and asking you to question what's paid for, what's an ad, and it's clear that these articles and the reader comments would not exist if not for the Mercedes ad accompanying them. And how many times can you do that? How many times can you make an ad that looks like it's newspaper copy, but it's on fire or it's upset? You're, you're playing with it's it's just like you're reading the news, but it's an ad. You run out of these gimmicks at a certain point, and you're you're you're. I've used the analogy before, but you're you're stripping the copper wiring out of the house. Oh yes. Before I mean, you just burn it for the insurance money. I mean, you know? the, it it really. Uh, when I first saw reference to it, I really I, I shook my head in disbelief. Look, I still know people there. I'm in contact with them, not a lot of them. They still care for that place, but I haven't spoken to them about this uh, directly. But knowing them and the affectionate that they have for their newspaper, I can't believe for a moment that any of them would consider it good healthy or wise? Well, we know from uh, a recent uh, bit of research that came out, there won't be any newspapers in Canada. Uh, they said in, in 10 years' time. I thought that was generous. 2025 was the year given. No more newspapers in Canada. Well, some would argue that none exist already. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. You're welcome. That was your shortcuts for this week. I hope you liked it. You can always email me, jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter, at Jesse Brown. Andrew, where can people find you? My Twitter handle is Andrew A. Trevica. Our website is canadalandshow.com. The crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Canada Land will be out on Monday. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be out on Tuesday. If you like this show, please support it. 